Hey family, Kevin Wallace here from Redemption to the Nations Church. I've got a message for you today that I believe God gave me to bring strength and hope and joy to your journey. I want you to get your heart open. I want you to get ready to receive this word. I don't believe your life's ever going to be the same again. God's getting ready to take you to a new level. I'll see you at the end of this message and we'll pray together. God bless. Enjoy this word. Let me go right to the text, Joshua 5, standing for the word. If you're not already, please. You say, Pastor, I've been standing for an hour and a half. I know, I'm about to let you sit down. If you, let me give you a hint. If you'll wear some hokas or some tennis shoes to church here to help you in your journey, amen? Clouds or something like that. <laughs> let me start with verse number uh, nine. Verse nine, I'm going to continue today what I started last week on this thought on the brink. Look at somebody tell them we're on the brink. We're preparing for the promises of God. And I, I really felt like God told us to get prepared for some things that he's doing in our church and among our people. And as you can see today, God's up to something. Say amen if you believe that. So we just thank God for that. And I just, I just serve notice on every power and principality that God's already given us victory over. You'll waste your time showing back up because if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen, somebody. And we give God praise. The ninth verse of Joshua chapter 5 says this, And the Lord told Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach. Mm, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Next verse. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal. Watch verse 10. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And that'll be a good place to launch from. We'll see how far we get today. Jesus, for those who are on the brink in this house, I pray, God, the value of preparation would be just seized in our life and in our heart. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in lives. And I thank you that people who have promises that are hanging in the balance are not going to miss those promises. Those promises have not expired. You are not through yet. And what you have spoken, you will accomplish in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to expedite and get right to it today. Last week, I ended by talking about circumcision. Anybody remember that? And everybody was glad that teaching was over and we're glad that Sunday's over, right? We don't want to talk about circumcision, and, uh, and, and I recognize that it's a challenging and even delicate subject to, to, to address in the church, but the reality of it is circumcision of heart is necessary for entering all that God has for you and I. And we talked last week about how Joshua made flint knives out of stone, and he circumcised all of the male children uh, of the male sons that were in Israel, and the reason he did that, the Bible says that he circumcised the second time. It wasn't that the same men received a second circumcision. It is that this group of men were children who were born in the wilderness. And because they were born in the wilderness and not in Egypt, they did not have the opportunity that the older generation had to be circumcised. So Joshua circumcised uh, the next generation so that they would be prepared to enter the promised land. And we talked last week about how circumcision was an act of covenant, and uh, it was an act of covenant, and, and, and it, it was it was this act of covenant that Joshua and the sons of Israel uh, did before God that allowed them to come into the promised land. We talked about the cutting away of the flesh so that the spirit, the spirit in us could be um, the compass and the God. How many want to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh? How many want to live a circumcised life, a spiritually circumcised life where we cut away the flesh from the spirit? We're not led by our lust. Hello, somebody. We're not led by the dictates of our flesh or, or by, by the impulses of our fallen nature, but we are led by the spirit of God. For as many, Paul says in the book of Romans, the seventh chapter, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons and daughters of God. If you're not led by the spirit, you do not belong to the Lord. Amen, somebody. And, and there's, no, there's no place in the kingdom of God for people who want heaven but, but want to follow the flesh. You, you've got to make up your mind. I have to make up my mind that as people who are born of the Spirit, we will follow the Spirit of God. So that's what the whole circumcision thing was about last week. This is the next part of preparation for the promised land. And this is just a continuation. I can't fit all this into one sermon. 
So the, 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 the powerful thing that, that I saw as I began to study this whole uh, fifth chapter of Joshua as they were preparing to go into the promised land, watch very carefully. The Bible says that after they were circumcised, after they were circumcised, the Bible says that then God rolled away the reproach from Israel. It actually says the reproach of Egypt rolled away from them. Now, everybody say reproach. Right, let me teach on reproach for just a few minutes. Reproach is shame or disgrace. When, 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 when someone is reproached, it is that they have engaged in some sort of behavior that has brought shame and reproach upon their life. And, and, and this is interesting to me that the Bible says after they got circumcised, God rolled away the reproach or the shame. And here's why I think it's interesting, because God was not talking to people who actually lived in Egypt. Don't miss this. These sons and daughters whom God was removing the shame and reproach of Egypt from never lived in Egypt. They were sons and daughters of people who had lived in Egypt. And here's what I want you to see. The shame and the reproach of Egypt had become generational. I'm dropping some bombs, and I don't know if you're ready for this today. Shame and reproach that came on them from Egypt, they never lived in Egypt. They were born in the wilderness after God brought people out of Egypt. But the shame of their mothers and fathers, the shame and the reproach of Egypt was passed on to the children. And the children were on the brink of the promised land. Don't miss this. The children were on the brink of the promised land, getting ready to go into the promised land, but they were carrying reproach that their mothers and fathers had passed on to them. There is a generational shame that God wants to break off all of us. There is a generational reproach that God wants to break off. Listen, we pastor uh, in, in, the, in the heart of downtown Chattanooga, and we touch places all really all over the world. But there's a, there's a regional influence, and I'm saying all that to say this. I have never in my life seen people who have so much shame. As I go out and minister, shame is one tool and trick of the enemy that keeps people out of a right identity which causes them to believe they can never inhabit the promised land that God has made them a promise about. I want to tell you that when you have a shame and a reproach on your life, it keeps you from believing that you are everything God called you to be and can do everything God called you to do. If, if you ever start looking at where you came from, I, I know that there are people in here and your pedigree is fascinating, uh, your pedigree is amazing, and, and everybody in your family was spirit-filled and tongue-talking and fell in the floor and preached and prophesied, and you were raised in church, and you should be thankful for that. If that is your story, you should be thankful that because there are a lot of people in here that when they start looking at their pedigree and where they came from, there is shame in their past. There is reproach in their family tree. There is a mess that went on not many generations behind them and they are trying to outrun and outlive the shame and the reproach and the generational bondage and, and my great-grandmama was nothing and my grandmama was nothing and my papa was a bootleg and my papa was a moonshiner and there was a wife beater in there and there was a whoremonger in there. Come on in here. There was, a, there was a pole stripper in there and I'm trying to just sit in church on Sunday and believe that what this preacher is telling me can really happen in my life and the spirit of shame will come on you and tell you you will always be a victim. You will never get away from Egypt. You will never outlive the slavery mentality of living in Egypt you were once a slave, always will be a slave. And in your mind, shame tries to tell you, you can't inhabit the promises of God. And it is generational. Because until somebody gets the shame taken away, that shame reproduces in the next generation. And now you have sons and daughters who knew nothing about Egyptian life and Egyptian reproach fixing to go into the promised land with the shame of mom and dad on them. And God says, not shame on you, 
shame off you. <laughs> Look at somebody and tell them, neighbor, shame off you. I'm getting ready to preach till my head catches on fire. Shame off you. Stop sitting in church on Sunday or driving down the road on Monday and allowing a lying voice to come in your brain and tell you you'll never have victory and you'll never be able to overcome and you'll never be able to break through and you'll never be able to possess the promises of God. Stop allowing the enemy to remind you of how screwed up your family tree is. All of us had a screwed up family tree. Can I tell you who else did? A man named Jesus had a hooker named Rahab in his family tree, but he was still the son of the living God. I came to announce today we're in a Gilgal moment. We're getting ready to step into the promised land, but before it happens, shame off you. The past is under the blood. The devil is under your feet. No more shame. Shame off you. I may not be what I'm going to be, but I'm not what I used to be. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor. Come on, we're moving on, but look at your neighbor. Tell them, neighbor, today. Tell them right now. Tell them not another moment to waste. Shame Holler at them, say shame off you. You did it, I did it, we did it, but I want to thank God that I am not what I did and I will not be defined by my last chapter. I'm coming into a, a season of Gilgal. God is rolling the reproach and the shame of Egypt off of you and I need some mamas and daddies to shout that he's rolling it off your children. Yes! Can I prophesy while I preach? Your children will not deal with what you dealt with. Your children will not be overcome by what overcame you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. No more shame. Let me tell you how shame works. Shame works like this. You get in the atmosphere like this and I start preaching and I start prophesying and people start saying things that bless you and you get excited and something shoots up on the inside of you and you get a little bit excited and faith starts rising and you start thinking, I can do this. God's gonna do this. I'm getting ready to take my promised land and you sit there and think about it long enough and shame comes back. And shame comes back and says, yeah, you're happy about it now. You're excited now, but you forgot what you did last week. And you forgot what you did last year. And you forgot what you did before you got saved. And you forgot how screwed up you are. And you forgot how many mistakes you made. And you are too screwed up. This preacher's up here hollering and sweating and spitting, telling you, you get ready to go on the promised land. And he doesn't know how cacked up and jacked up and messed up from the chest up and tore up from the floor up and beat up from the feet up that you really are. I don't have to know how screwed up you are to know that what I am preaching is for you because I want to remind you that where sin does abound grace does much more abound it's time to stop the cycle it's time to break the curse somebody tell shame shame off you shame off you how many want to take the promises Ready for the, how many, want, I'm not asking a rhetorical question. How many want to take the promises of God over your life? You ready? Go get them. Well, well I'm waiting on what? I'm waiting. I'm wait, what if I told you God was waiting? Do you understand that 40 years was not the intended plan of God? This was a couple of days but they turned it into four, 40 years of waiting and delaying. And before they get ready to go in, this next generation gets ready to go in, God takes and rolls. <laughs> I love this. He rolls the shame off of them. Just let it roll. Look at somebody tell them, let it roll. Let the haters talk, let it roll off. Let the enemy talk. Let the lies come into your ear, but just let it roll off. 
That's why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, agree with thine adversary quickly. Some of us spend a lot of time trying to run from the adversary when he comes up and reminds us of what we did. I want to freak you out. The next time the devil reminds you of the sin you committed, agree with him. I promise you this works. Agree with him. He says, you don't remember what you did. Oh, I remember. I did it. But as far as the east is from the west, I'm not telling you I never did it. I'm just telling you you can't find it on my account. Am I proud of it? No, but I refuse to be a prisoner of it for the rest of my life. See, Egypt thought it was going to keep generation after generation after generation after generation. And if the, listen, don't miss this. If the devil can't keep you in Egypt, he'll put the shame of Egypt on you as you move out of Egypt. If he can't keep you bound up in Egypt, then he'll put the shame of Egypt on you as you walk out of Egypt and you will try to walk into the promised land with the reproach of Egypt. This is why some people are betwixt and between and they fight between two identities. It's because they know God's called them to the promised land, but they got a spirit of shame and reproach on them from the stuff that happened in their past. I'm just moving on. And before I move on, I want to hit it one more time and say shame off you. You and I are not carrying the shame of Egypt with us into what God has for us in our future. There's a scripture in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse number 19 it says this, God turned their shame into praise. (sighs) Anybody used to be ashamed but now you're full of praise? Anybody, anybody, you have anything in your past that you're not proud of? Oh, look at all the holy people in here. Anybody got anything in your past you're not proud of? I do. I got some stuff in my past I'm not proud of. The enemy would try to indict you by it, frame you by it, and convince you to believe that it is too much for God to get past, to take you into what he has for your life. But you've got to learn how to turn shame into praise. And instead of being ashamed, you don't keep repeating the same behavior that brought shame. You allow the immense to set you free and then every time the, the, the enemy reminds you of what you did you turn that shame into praise and you say I did do it but I'm not, I'm not going to be found guilty of it because somebody has cleansed my soul and made me free Gilgal somebody say Gilgal it was a Gilgal moment God said this is the place where the shame of Egypt the reproach of Egypt rolls off of you You don't care in your future. You can't go into the promised land carrying the reproach of Egypt on you. It won't work that way. So the first thing he does, he gives gives them a Gilgal moment. The second thing he does, after 40 years of not receiving the Passover meal, 40 years, Joshua reintroduces Passover to the people of God. Why would he do this? Several reasons. Let me talk about those. First and foremost, you can't go into the promised land with misguided priorities. Promises are not as important as the lamb. There are some people infatuated with getting out of Egypt and getting into the promised land. God wants us to be infatuated with Jesus. And before he takes them into the promised land, he prepares a meal for them because at the center of everything God is doing in Israel and for Israel, at the center of it all is the lamb. If the church thinks she is going to occupy territory till Jesus comes without being focused on Jesus. She has misguided priorities. If you think God's going to let you enter, this is why Moses prayed in Exodus 33, Lord, if you're not going with us into the promised land, we don't want to go. Where are those people at? 
if you're not going with us, I'm grateful for the milk and the honey, but if we don't have the presence of God, we are no different than any other group of people on the faith. That's what Moses was saying. And there's a lot of people who want the stuff that comes with the promised land, but they don't want the lamb. Remember, when they took the Passover, they took the lamb and they, they, they cut the lamb and they took the blood and they ate the lamb roasted over fire. So they got the lamb in them and they got the blood on the doorpost. See, Passover reminds us you got to get the lamb in you and the blood on you. If you don't have the lamb in you and the blood on your life, you're not prepared to go into all that God has for you in your future. Enough with us trying to have a great life life and add Jesus on Sunday as a little side item to our pursuit of happiness. There is no happiness outside of the person of Jesus. Passover is a when Joshua said let's take Passover they had not done that for four decades. How long has it been since he was the center of it all in your life? And the longer Jesus, the longer you and I delay in making him the center of it all, the longer we delay our purpose and the promise. Man, sometimes you don't even have to have anything wrong to cry. You just start thinking about him. And he's with you. And he doesn't leave you. And he stays with us. Anybody love him? Anybody love him? I mean, I'm thankful for all the stuff he does. I'm thankful for the new campuses. I'm thankful for all the blessings. I'm thankful for all the people. But I just want you to understand something. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm grateful for his presence. We've gotten this so complicated and messed up in the world, especially in the church world. We think it's all this other peripheral stuff, and if it isn't all about him, Joshua said, we're going to take Passover, and we are going to eat the lamb. We're going to put the lamb in us and the blood. And then you know the story. The Bible says that when they took, remember, the last time they took this meal, they were in Egypt, 40 years prior, they were in Egypt. The last time they took that meal, they were slaves. 400 year plus slavery. And the last time they took that meal, watch this, when they took that Passover meal, they ate the lamb and they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and the death angel flew through Egypt. And when the angel of death saw the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, if he saw the blood, he passed over. And if there was no blood, the firstborn in that house died. Why is that significant? Because God was breaking future oppressors off of the life of Israel. Wait, what am I talking about? Firstborn of Egypt. Say firstborn of Egypt. It, it wasn't just that God saved Israel by the blood. It's that God preserved Israel's future. How? Because whenever Pharaoh and the taskmasters of Egypt had children, they raised those children to be the next generation of oppressors over Israel. So every time Israel kept growing, Pharaoh and the taskmasters of Egypt kept having more sons so that those sons would rise up and act as slave owners, as it were, of Israel. The night that the blood was applied, the firstborn of Egypt died. Why? Because God said, not only am I taking Israel out of Egypt, I'm going to make sure that none of Egypt's future oppressors are alive to, to put into slay. Are you following what I'm saying? What, is this, what does this mean, Pastor? It means that when the blood of the Passover lamb is applied, not only is God bringing you out, he's trying to get you to see that those oppressors that tried to wreck all of your family in the past, are, they are disqualified and disabled from wrecking your future. 
Somebody holler if you believe you have a future. So we took communion today. I wonder if you caught in this while we're taking communion. I wonder if you caught two things. Number one, you have a future. And number one, the blood has covered your past. Don't ever forget that before you can step into the promised land with confidence, you've got to build life around the lamb. Now, the next thing that happens, I'm going to get this one and we're going to be done. The next thing that happens, so he takes them and he gives them a Gilgal moment. The second thing is they take, they take the Passover and then look at this. This is where I'm going to lose some people. I didn't have some of you, but I had some of you and I'm going to lose some of you. Look at this, verse 11. After they take the day, so they take the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the plains of Jericho. Okay, now they're, they're, they're actually getting ready to enter into the land itself, but the reality of it is they've already crossed over. Verse 11, and they ate, I'm going to teach this, they ate the produce of the land on the day, what? At, come on, talk with me. After the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. What is the point? Look, look at the next verse. Go ahead and put that next verse up, Chad, so they see the context. Then, somebody say then. The manna ceased on the day after they ate the produce of the land. And the ch- I'm talking about preparation for the promised land. Somebody say prepare. If you and I are going to go into the promised land, there is a very, very significant transition that this scripture reveals to us, and I need you to catch this before I close. There comes a season in your life as you prepare to enter the promised land when you stop living on the manna. I'm going to say something. How many understand that this is a supernatural house? If you believe that Devin and I believe in the supernatural, say amen. Amen. Okay, so I want to establish that before I say what I'm getting ready to say. Some people only know how to live by the supernatural and the miracle, and they don't know how to live on stewarding the land. I lost a bunch of people. (laughs) We'd rather and we prefer for manna to be dropped down out of heaven rather than stewarding the soil of the promised land and actually producing crop. Okay, I'm getting ready to offend a bunch of people. I hope not, but maybe so. Watch. It's much easier to eat seed and not sow it and wake up hungry and say, manna, manna. They had done that for 40 years. Manna, I need a miracle. I need to pay my bills. Manna, oh, manna. I need, I need this, I need, and God is saying on the first day they went in, after they took Passover, I need you to shift from having to wait on a miracle, and I need you to slide into a revelation of stewardship, and understand that the land I'm giving you is sufficient to supply. The, mm-hmm, there we go. It's clicking now. Thank you, Lord. The only issue is this. I'm going to give you everything you need for your future in the promised land. You're just going to have to know what to do with what I've given you. Well, we're going to need food. Wonderful. I put seed. <laughs> See how I've, this gets all quiet. People start gathering their stuff, acting like y'all got to go. So where y'all going? (laughs) Where are we going? Some of you have, I feel the Lord right here. You have in your hand what you need for your future. The problem is you want a miracle and God wants you to steward. 
rarely. In fact, this is, this is fascinating to me. When it says they ate the food of the land, how many see that right there? They ate the food of the land. They didn't sow that food. God was so kind and generous that in their first day of living in the promised land, he let someone else plant so that they could eat when they entered in the first day. But you keep reading the text, they had to learn the power of stewarding the promised land. And I think that sometimes we get lazy in the body of Christ and we want miracles and God is looking for people who steward well. If you don't learn this lesson, you'll never succeed in your promised land. Because you'll walk around in a promised land thinking, I thought this was the promised land. And if it's the promised land, where's everything that I was told that I was going to have? It's there, but you have to work the land. Well, I thought this was the promised land. Why are there giants? The promise is under the feet of the giant. You're just going to have to do something called warfare every now and then and war in the name of the Lord until the giant standing on your promise gets the point that the God in you is greater than the stature of the giant. And when you stand up and say, this is mine, keep working in the land because, because God made you a promise and I don't care how big the enemy is the promise is bigger than the enemy well God told me it's harvest time God told me it's harvest time and I can't find no harvest anywhere what'd you do with the seed see I lost some people right here what did I'm not talking about just money I'm talking about money and time and prayers we prayed for more miracles I'm going Lord And I say this in the fear of the Lord. We pray for miracles in our physical body because we didn't steward our temple well. So we always got to have manna. We always got to have a miracle. We always got to have God do something for us that he actually empowered us to do by his spirit. Everybody's mad at me. I see it. He just said a thing. You have... I might need to teach a whole series on stewardship. Not just money. I'm talking about stewarding of time, talent, treasure, testimony. Ready for this? If God puts seed in your hand, I can promise you this. It won't work unless you release it. I'm going to hold on to this seed. What are you going to do with it? It's seed. How many like to keep your lawn up? Oh, lift your hand if you like to keep your, some of y'all are like, I don't like to keep my lawn. Just, just, just keep a trashy lawn then. I'm just talking to the people who like to keep a nice lawn. I, I like a nice lawn. <laughs> people, they don't ever want to say nothing. I ain't saying nothing to him. I don't care. It don't matter. I like a nice lawn. Every year around this time, there are areas where I sow rye grass. It makes everything green when it's supposed to turn brown. So I just, so I just get some seed and I walk and just throw it out in the yard. I reach down in the back, get some more seed, throw it out in the yard. A couple weeks later, boom, rye grass. Things start turning green. Beautiful. What if I reach down in the back, grab the seed, say, wow, this is seed. I don't want to sow this. Put it back in the bag. What happens? It stays a seed and the ground stays brown. Why? Because it doesn't work until you do with it what you have been called to do with it. Some of you are in your promised land and it's not producing harvest Not because you're not in the promised land, but because you're not doing what you're supposed to do with the seed. And I'm not mad about that. I'm trying to get you unfrustrated. If you want your marriage to be better, your spiritual life to be better, your financial picture to be better, 
Use what God gave you in the promised land the way he called you to use it, and it'll produce everything you need he put in your hand. And I'm through with this. Some of us like living off manna because you know how manna worked? They woke up every morning, peeked their head out the tent, whoop, manna. (laughs) 40 years of that. 40 years of that. And they woke up one morning and they looked out the tent and they said, we don't got no manna. God said, no, but you got land and you got seed. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Some of us want a promised land without wanting to be stewards. Don't work that way. And I want us to move into a place before some of us, I just really feel in my heart, I wish somebody would catch this. I I really believe in my heart some of you are about to step into stuff you've waited for years on. I'm not just blowing smoke. I'm I'm telling you, I sense that there are businesses getting ready to be launched through people in this church. I sense that there are people in this church that are getting ready to do things in the educational system. I've been feeling in my heart like there's some people in this room and in our church connected family through Athens and through here, people that even that watch online that are part of our online family in various places in the, in the nation and around this world. I really believe that some of the stuff that we are getting fed up with, we have the solution to it. It's already been given to us by God, put in our spirit. And I believe God is about to unlocking some of that kingdom creativity that is on the inside of you. And he's going to turn, listen, he's going to turn all this problem into concrete reality. But you've got to learn, and I have to learn, and we have to accept a shift from always needing a miracle to make it to recognizing God says, you determine your harvest. See, some people don't like this. Well, they, you're not God. No, I'm not God. I'm not God. <laughs> Promise you, I'm not God. But I want to tell you this, God has set in order a modus operandi. He said, you want a bountiful harvest? Be bountiful with your seed. You want a sparing harvest? Be sparing. I'm going to let you determine what kind of harvest you get in your promised land. This is, again, not just money. This is life. Genesis, as long as time remains, there'll be both seed time and harvest. And I don't know about you. I want to learn how to steward. There are going to be times we need miracles. There are going to be times when our stewardship doesn't produce the miracle. It it allows God to release the miracle. Oh, let me rewind that. That was decent. Stand with me. Let let me tell y'all something about me, and I don't say this to my credit. There's a lot of flaws and failures that your pastor has, but I want to tell you something about me. There's not a room on this campus anywhere, not a room on this campus anywhere I haven't walked into, ever. I've walked in every single room on this whole campus, all 14 buildings, every floor, I've been in every room. There's not a room I've ever walked into where the light was on, I'm going to tell you all a little secret about me. Uh, Chris will tell you this is true. It drives me bananas. I did it this morning. There's not a room I've walked into where the light was on that I didn't go turn the light off and make sure the AC was not running if people weren't in there. This morning, I'm running out of my office. I'm in a, I mean, I am in a fit. I can't get my iPad to work. I had no notes this morning because I couldn't get my message from my computer to my iPad. So all this this morning, I, I'm sure I forgot a lot of stuff because I didn't have no notes. I was mad. I was throwing stuff and trying to plead the blood, but I was so mad I couldn't plead the blood. And, and I, would, I would just, and I was fit. And I walked out and I left the bathroom light on. I left my closet light on in my office. And I got down the hallway and I heard one word. Stewardship. Now I'm mad. And the Lord, the, the, I prayed, Lord, get my notes from the computer to the iPad. That never happened. He did not answer that prayer, but he had time to remind me. <laughs> he had time to remind me. Stewardship. 
I walked back down the hallway, turned my closet light off, my bathroom light off, my office light off. Why? Every time he does it and reminds me, and I go back and do it, he reminds me. That's why I can trust you with resources because you won't leave the light on and waste the money. Now, I know that some of y'all can't handle this and y'all thinking, what is he talking about? Stewardship. If you know how to steward electricity, he'll let you steward millions for his kingdom. Y'all can't handle this. It's a principle of knowing what to do with your promised land. Quit asking for miracles that didn't have to be miracles had you and I just done with seed what he called to do. They stopped living on manna that day. Forty years of cycle. They stopped. I want God to give somebody this revelation today. Somebody that's been in religion. And all you've been taught is suffer and pain and never have enough. I was told my whole life, the more broke you are, the holier you are. I was told my whole life, the more stressed you are, the more pitiful you are, the more depressed and heavy you are, the more spiritual you are. It's a lie. I have horrible days sometimes, but I have learned this, that I'm going to live in my promised land, and I'm not going to let the enemy and religion cause me to miss the intended harvest that God had in mind for me when he opened up the door for you and I that he did and said, go in there. You're going to have to get the milk. You're going to have to get the honey. You're going to have to work the soil. You're going to plant the seed, but I'm going to bless everything you put your hands on. How many want to enter a promised land that God has for you? I'm talking about promises. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about die right here in the nasty now. How many want your house to enter into a season of manifested, fulfilled promises? And, and, and you're, you're not just asking God for manna. You're saying, I'm ready to go into the promised land. I'm ready to be, go. Ah, yes, Lord. The next level of stewardship. I'm not talking about, please hear the word stewardship and don't just think I'm talking about your money. Stewardship is not about money. It's about everything you have. Why? Because God gave you every good thing you've got. We have taught people and trained people that the tithe is God's. I want to freak you all out. Everything you've got is God's. The earth is the Lord's. The fullness of it all. People have been saved already. People have been healed and touched already today. I just want to pray for a minute right here. It's, it's a moment I feel like God, a time I just come into agreement with the Hampton family right now. Manifestation and provision in the promised land. He's got you. He's got you. He's got you, and he didn't put you in the promised land and pull you out. He's got you in the promised land right now. How many need right now a manifestation of, of promises to come to pass, start coming to pass in your life? How many are holding on to some promises that God's quickened in your heart? Lift your hand if I'm talking to you right now. Lord, I believe you gave me this word and this series of messages for people who are coming into a season and to a time in their life of manifested promises. I thank you, Lord that you're rolling back shame and reproach and the past will never claim them in a way that will prevent them from going into their... I, I thank you for that. I thank you today, Lord, that Jesus, even on a day we took communion, we have been reminded and reconfirmed our heart, desire, our love, our covenant with you, and we don't want anything in our future that doesn't have you at the center of it all. And Lord, today I thank you that you are teaching and training and you're going to show us how to not have to live on the miracle of manna, but you're going to teach us and train us and you're going to show us, Lord, how to occupy promised land 
and use the seed and the soil to produce the harvest that we have intended, that you have intended for our lives. Lord, there is absolutely no way we can do this in the strength of our own ability and flesh. So everyone that needs his spirit and wants his spirit to help, come on, throw those hands up right now. God, for the sake of our children, for the sake of our grandchildren, for the sake of the city that you planted us in, for the sake of the communities that we live in, for the sake of the school systems that our children go to, come on, for the sake of our job environments, for the sake of our government, for the sake, God, teach us how to occupy till you come. Teach us how to live in promised land and not walk through, Lord, not walk through life and, and miss the miracles and miss the promise simply because we do not understand we don't understand that, that you've moved on from the manna. You're trying to give us the ability, Lord God, to develop the soil and to see the harvest come to pass, not by the strength of the flesh, but because you're good, you've given us everything we need. Break. The slave mentality off of the people of God. Re re remove the reproach and the shame of Egypt and the pain of the past. Jesus. And I know that when I say that word slave repeat, there's people in here like, he shouldn't say that. It's such a, it's such a weird word. I was a slave of sin. You were a slave of sin. The enemy beat us up every day of our life and we never saw a future until Jesus came and broke the curse. You ought to be free and you ought to be thankful and you ought to be full of joy because you're not in Egypt anymore. Lay hands on your, your mind right now. As you lay hands on your head, I declare over your mind right now that the blood of Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says this, if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer can sanctify to the purifying of your flesh and mind, then how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot before God, purge your conscience from dead works so that you can serve the living God. Now, according to that promise, I release over the people right now a shift in thinking that brings them out of dead works in their mind and into a place of harvest, into a place of promise, into a place of abundance. I release by faith right now the ability to see themselves and their families standing in a field of harvest, bringing sheaves of joy, Abundance and increase. Come on, I wish somebody would catch it before we go home. I release it by faith. And I declare, God, in the next 60 days, there is coming a transition in the thinking of the people of God in our fellowship. And, Father, you are bringing people who the devil told they'd be at the back of the line all of their life. They're coming to the front of the line. I declare in the name of Jesus that renters are going to be owners, that people who borrowed are going to be lending. They're going to be builders that rise up. They're going to be creatives. That, come on, come on, come on. They're going to be creatives that rise up in this house, educational reformers who rebuke this indoctrination and they rise up with a kingdom mentality that sets a generation free. I release it over you in the name of the Lord. Business people business people in this house if you're a businessman a business lady lift your hands right now you got your own business an entrepreneur lift your hands right now I release over your mind the creative kingdom thinking of the living God that the spirit of the Lord is going to begin to show you an exponential increase in your promised land I see somebody in a little corner of a little field you've been you've been sowing and you've been working that little corner but I see the Lord opening up an entire field to somebody. You're about to see an explosion and it will not take your joy and it will not destroy your family. It's going to be a blessing from the Lord. Lift your hands if you receive this. Lift your hands if you receive this. Father, bless today. They're coming into increase. They're coming in increase. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. A couple of months ago, Pastor Richie was preaching. He prophesied while he was preaching. 
Somebody's catching it. I feel it. Hallelujah. He prophesied while he was preaching that God was going to bless our sons and daughters in this school year. And they were going to excel on the court, on the field, and in the classroom. Can I tell you this past week, Caleb Hampton ran for 275 yards and three touchdowns and beat Innsworth in the first round of the playoffs. Why? Because he's living in his promised land. And he caught, y'all missing what I'm saying? You got to learn how to walk in your season. How many know he's a good God? Throw your hands up. No, you know, thank you, Lord. Throw, I'm going I'm to close with this because I can see some of you need some chicken. Listen, throw your hands up like you're getting ready to catch a ball. I'm getting ready to throw it out. Ready for this? In the name of Jesus, I declare your family is going to break free from shame, break free from reproach, break free from a lack mentality, break free from a we can't do this, break free from a this is too big for us. You're going to break free from poverty. You're going to break free from depression. You're going to break free on every side. There will not be an enemy that will withstand the living God. God will God will not finish. He will not quit until he completes his promise that he released over your father. Oh God, it's a Gilgal moment. We're seeing shame roll back and the blessing of God roll in. So I release it now. Mind, body, come on, catch it. Your mind, your bodies, physical bodies, your soul, your spirit. Domestically, relationally, mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, in every dimension of your life, promises, yes, and amen. If you receive it, shout all over the church. Hey family, while your faith is high and while God is speaking to you through this message today, I wanted to end this time together by saying a prayer for you and agreeing with you in prayer that God is gonna meet you right where you are at the point of your need. As we pray, I want you to remember this, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. You don't have a problem. All you need is faith in God. And today we're going to agree in prayer together for your healing, for your deliverance, for the miracle, for the blessing that you've been waiting on. I believe it's time to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the people of God who are watching today. Thank you for everyone who has tuned in to this this message and this broadcast, and we are agreeing in prayer right now that every need they have, you are going to supply it. Father, I reach out to you in faith, and I pray for the person who has lost that you would save them, for the person who is sick that you would bring healing right now to their body. Father, for the person who needs a miracle financially, a miracle in their home, a miracle in their marriage, there's nothing too hard for you. And in Jesus' name, we speak to that issue. We command those mountains to be moved. And we thank you in advance for your blessing that's coming up on their lives today. In Jesus' name, we receive it. Amen. Friend, I can't wait to be with you next week. I'm going to keep praying for you until then. God bless you. Spread the news. And we'll see you soon. Go in peace.